0: Went with data to the science fair he Took a blue ribbon in every
1: category
0: Hi, I'm Libby.
1: And I'm Jason.
0: And this is Trekking Awesome.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a podcast about various Star Trek episodes uh, where we debate the merit of each one, deciding whether or not it is star trek gold or a traditional red shirt that needs to get killed off really quick
0: the plan is is that one of us will take one side and one of us will take the other side uh so either arguing for or against the episode um and we will try to determine who's the winner
1: yeah um or maybe and maybe there's not a winner or maybe you can decide who's the winner
0: or maybe yeah maybe that's easier uh, um, maybe maybe it's harder to try and figure this out ourselves. So, hopefully, um, hopefully we'll be able to make some some reasonable arguments. I think uh, in favor or against. I
1: think we will be. Yeah, we're, we're pretty intelligent people.
0: I feel like this is. I feel like this is just what we do, normally. I feel like this is. I feel like we're committing to a record. What our normal yeah. conversations look like
1: I feel you're right It's kind of one of those things We do this anyway Might as well put a mic in front of our faces And just kind of uh, record it for posterity's sake
0: Yeah, this is <laughs> this is something that has happened We've gone back and forth on some of these episodes uh, Time and again I, I guess maybe because we're huge TNG fans I, I, I love the original series Like any good Trek fan
1: Yeah, but it wasn't until much later in life That I really got into the original series I feel like as a kid of the 80s I kind of grew up in TNG universe, and it wasn't until much later that I gained that appreciation for the original series.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know how I came to Trek. I was a non-Trekie before we met. I Uh, had to convert you. You did. You did. To be fair, I converted you to... um, Harry Potter, so...
1: Well, you know, that's a totally different fandom entirely, and we can talk about that in a different podcast. Well, right, but I'm saying, like,
0: I feel like it's only fair that we just... we were... How do I want to put this? It
1: was kind of a cultural exchange, if you will. It was. It
0: was definitely a cultural (laughs) exchange. And I think since meeting you and, you know, marrying you, um, I think I've become a bigger Trek nerd than you.
1: Yeah, you might be, but... I was born into this life. It was merely—you were merely introduced to it. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that might be true. Yeah. I mean, yes. I, I there was a conversation we were having the other day, and I mentioned a creature um, from the original series, and you didn't know who it was, and I was like, "Oh, I'm out nerding you right now." Ha, yeah, ha. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I felt really yeah. good about it, I guess, because I feel like even though you were the Trek nerd first, I am now the. Now I am the master.
1: Fair enough. And I feel totally comfortable <laughs> saying that because
0: I was a Worsian before I was a Trekkie. So, listen, Ooh. it can... Those marriages can work, people. I they think can. I just
1: got the support of the audience on my side no, I, with I, you I, saying that. I
0: stand by that Trekkies and Worsians can be one and the same, and I am living proof of the marriage of those of those two well uh, trip, uh, i do cultures.
1: enjoy a good star wars oh. i must say
0: we should not get into yeah okay we can't we have, have this other, argument we have other arguments that we need to exactly to make. So, and
1: specifically today's argument i think do you want to introduce the episode
0: yeah okay uh so we're talking about the cage today which is
1: well, the ha- original unaired pilot of Star Trek.
0: Right. In fact, um, this episode was not aired until 1988, uh, until October of 1988. Do you, uh, Mr. Trek nerd, know under what circumstances this episode I was aired?
1: I believe... I mean, I was only two years old at the time, <laughs> but I believe it was due to a writer strike that I believe they aired this as part of a promotion of trying to bridge the gap between TOS and TNG.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember how they how they titled it. It was something like from one generation to the next. I believe um, so. And, I, well, I mean, does, does it bridge the gap for you? Do you feel like... Yes, I feel like
1: that's something that we're going to have to debate once we get into yeah. the actual debate portion of our podcast today. But, uh, short answer... No. <laughs> so I
0: think we maybe can figure out uh, what side you're on.
1: Um, yeah, I do believe I, so.
0: How I genuinely feel like that there are some situations where it's going to be really easy for me to defend an episode that you don't like, or for you to defend an episode that I don't like. I think we've had the conversation before. Oh, yeah. On, on some pretty interesting...
1: Which is kind of the brainchild, which is kind of how this brainchild started. We right. were debating different episodes, and right. and you know, it's like you would say this episode was great and I would say this episode's completely garbage or vice versa.
0: Right. I Well, I, like for instance, I hated Q for the longest time and it took your convincing me yeah. of Q's worth and, and John Delancey's worth and now I'm a Q fan but there was a long time there exactly. where Exactly. Q was, to me, a really obnoxious character. Yeah. And it wasn't until much later that I. And, and via your convincing, I think. Yeah. I'm still trying to convince you of the merit of Wesley Crusher, and I know I just lost a lot of listeners. Yes. Um, because
1: I, while I love Will Wheaton, I'm sorry, Wesley Crusher, the character, I, I really him. did not enjoy I know, yeah. that character
0: much. Well, anyway, all. we'll <laughs> have to debate that when we get to it. But for today, I think actually. This is not the case. I feel like we both had pros and cons for this episode. Um, I definitely
1: agree. This This episode, uh, was it was difficult to pick a side on because there is so much good, but there's also a lot of bad, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and for me, it was very difficult, and it really just boils down to one fact, which we'll get into as we start debating, but yeah. um, mm-hmm. I feel like the coin flip that we took before the, before the show today really helped me solidify what argument I wanted to make about this show because it was really, it could it could have gone either way.
0: It, same for me, and I, I honestly, I spent a lot of this episode sort of thinking about, you know, what side I wanted to take. Obviously, I mean, watching it, the first time I watched it, I, I had some interesting opinions on it. And then the second time, you know, watching it through and trying to think about it from a perspective of somebody who's going to debate it or somebody who's going to talk about it, it was a different experience for me, and I feel like there were parts that were obviously pros, and there were parts that were obviously cons, and I really genuinely struggled to find which one was the bigger pro, or which one was the, you know, the bigger con, and I couldn't, well, anyway, so I guess, I guess the ambiguity of my sort of like or dislike of this, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping to, yeah. to, to deal with that through the course of this debate. I'm really hoping that we're able to sort of suss out how we feel, and...
1: Dear listener, I promise you, it's not like this normally. It's normally like pulling nails and hair and kicking and screaming, yeah. determining w- which which person wins the argument. Right? No.
0: Norm- yeah. Normally, normally it really is. Normally, we go back and forth on something yeah. for forever, and and there is no ambiguity. I like it or I don't like it, or he likes mm. it or he doesn't like it. It's it's there is no ambiguity. In this case, however, I feel like you know we we had the conversation you know well before we started recording, like how are we going to decide? Yeah, because mean,
1: and it literally was a coin flip. It,
0: really, it Yeah, literally it boiled down to a coin flip. And I think some of these are going to have to be that way. I mean, some of them, ones that we both both hate, uh, and there's like oh, a couple yeah. of them. Um, oh, yeah,
1: no, that, that's part of our love of each other, is the fact that we both hate similar things. Right,
0: <laughs> right, and have similar problems. So, uh-huh. yeah, and then obviously there are some episodes that we both, well, maybe yeah. a few that... I'm calling him the Tarkalian ox turds because I feel like there's a, <laughs> there's a Fair there's enough. a couple of just genuine Tarkalian ox turds in the series, and I you know some of which are are terrible for um, political mm. reasons, some of which are terrible because they were just poorly executed. Um, and some some are just
1: bad because they're bad acting ca- from time to time,
0: right? And it's one of those things where, as lovers of this of this franchise, and we genuinely are, it's one of those things where to truly love something, you have to love something warts and all. And I think we yeah. love the warts. And we can talk about them, and we can address yeah. them, and, and still, at the end of the day, agreed. Love the franchise, and I think exactly. We, I think we both do. So, well,
1: without further ado, I say we should go ahead and kind of introduce the episode. Sure. Yep. So people who aren't familiar with the cage will know um, precisely what we're talking about. <laughs>
0: A very different bridge for a very different enterprise. Captain by Christopher Pike opens the unaired episode of Star Trek, the original series. There is no Kirk, no Bones, no Uhura, no Sulu, no Chekhov, and no Scotty. In fact, the only member of the crew that is aboard with his original name is Spock, Though he has his signature pointy ears, he is notably more emotive than his successors. We see Spock smiling and interacting with the crew as though he were human and not Vulcan. Taking his stoic place as an unnamed first officer, number one, is played by the incomparable Majel Barrett. For fans, she is the second most recognizable face on the bridge. The story begins with a distress call that Captain Pike is reluctant to answer. For him, the mission is all. They have a job to do, and it does not include rescuing a few stranded scientists. He is far more gruff than the impish Captain Kirk, and he seems unsure of his role in Starfleet. A brief conversation with the ship's chief medical officer reveals a need for an extended leave of absence. Captain Pike reluctantly agrees to help the scientists on Talos IV. Talos IV is a barren wasteland with a few singing plans and a whole lot of bedraggled scientists there is one young woman, Vina, who immediately catches the eye of Captain Pike. Soon after greeting the scientists, Captain Pike is kidnapped, and the vessel, the distress signal, and even the scientists themselves are revealed to be a telepathic mirage perpetuated by big-brained Talosians who are hell-bent on collecting creatures. To them, humans are just one more animal in their perverse zoo. Vina is the only remnant of the Mirage, and she explains that she and Pike are to be the Adam and Eve of Talos. The Talosians use a series of erotic projections to attempt to convince Captain Pike to remain and mate with Vina. All the while, Number One is concocting plans to free Captain Pike with the help of a bridge crew. On their final attempt to release Pike, two females, a first of- the first officer and a yeoman named Colt, are beamed away and into the same cage as Pike and Vina. Vina is instantly jealous and demands that she be given more time to convince Pike to remain. The other two are offered as a substitute Eve, and Pike is asked to make a choice. He refuses, and they capture a Telosian. They attempt to escape, but are again thwarted. The Talosians explain that they are trying to repopulate the planet and make up for the destruction they previously wrought. They do not want to harm the humans, only to give them a chance to work for the Talosians and see the cultivation of a fertile planet. Pike explains that humans cannot stand captivity. Even benevolent slavery is still slavery. The first officer sets her weapon on overload. They would rather suicide than forced captivity. The Telosians realize the futility of their endeavor and agree to release them. Vina chooses to remain behind. She is, in fact, disfigured and scarred from her crash where the Telosians rescued her. Pike begs the Telosians to be kind to her and restore her appearance. They agree to that and more, and she is given a fantasy Pike with whom she will live the remainder of her days. Yeah, I think so. Let's start our debate
1: talking about the Telosians. I have some pretty strong opinions on these guys, and that's good because
0: I do too, actually. So. I know
1: they seem to be incredibly dumb, in my opinion. Like from a from an intellectual standpoint, uh, the first thing that really drew my attention to this, I mean, if their goal is to get two people to mate. Um, why, one, would you pull them out of a fantasy on Rigel 7 where they're getting really close to each other and mating? Why would you do that? And two, whenever you pull them out of that, why are you standing there watching them? <laughs> uh, is, yeah, it was what, it's, it's pretty creepy, but <laughs> two, it creepy. It's kind of like taking a poop. Do you, uh, yeah. do you really want to
0: watch? First that? of all, let's, you know what? I'm just gonna skip right over the fact that you compared baiting to taking a poop. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna. Well, no, what I meant is like I you want to. somebody
1: watching you take a poop.
0: No, I'm gonna exactly. go. With, I'm gonna go with the hard I don't no. Think anybody? Uh, <laughs> <wins>. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely feel ya. I definitely see your point on that. But uh, okay, so let's take it from let, because I think that you're missing a pretty key factor here. So let me put it another way: How many videos have you seen? On, you know, Nat Geo or uh, David okay, Attenborough. I get it. They use um, the humans yeah.
1: as animals, yeah. not as. Well, so,
0: yeah. So, so that, so for us, when we watch, you know, a cheetah doing the do with another cheetah. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to use John Green's word here because I like it. Scootily pooping. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so okay. So let's say we're watching um, some cheetahs scootily pooping. And, you know, when we watch that, it's not because we're, you know, it's not because we're concerned about the cheetahs and, like, whether or not they will scootily poop the way that we want them to. It's that we are trying to learn about their scootily poop methods. So I feel like the the Telosians are yes they're very smart yes they're maybe even aware of you know the embarrassment or something that might be caused by something like this Mm -hmm. but I also think that they're more interested in the intellectual exercise
1: you're While I can appreciate what you're saying and your metaphor with the cheetahs, um, doesn't quite hold up because if you think about it, if you get too close to two cheetahs while they're mating, you're gonna ruin the magic for them, so to speak. And they're gonna stop and they're gonna run away. So I feel like that argument doesn't really hold up for me personally because you gotta think these Nat Geo people in that same metaphor, Mm -hmm. they're a couple hundred feet away. They're not right up on it. They've just got really good lenses on their cameras, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which these guys, they've got telepathy. They know what's going on in their heads. Why do they have to get up close and personal? I'm sure they could just, yeah. you know, oh, tap into their brains, you know, RDP into, into their sex session and be like, okay, Scholarly that's what you're doing. Session. But that's not the only reason I think they're dumb. The main reason comes at the very end. Whenever the kind of the big reveal about Mm Vina being mm -hmm. kind of put back together and she's all messed up, these folks are bipedal. They find, I mean, pretty much. And also the other thing is like everybody in their menagerie that you see is pretty bipedal. You know, even the animals that they turn into to scare Pike. Seem like they stand upright, got two legs, two arms, pretty symmetrical. But they put Vina back together to look like kind of a Dalek with a head. You know, <laughs> she's she's <laughs> not she she's not put together in any f- symmetrical form. Which well,
0: you're missing the even bigger point, which is that they have the capacity to go in her brain and see oh, what yeah. she looks like. I mean that. I know I'm supposed to be defending here, but I I actually yeah. I definitely take your point yeah. that how the hell do they? How the hell do they not get what Vina is supposed to look like? Yeah, you know, I mean, exactly. It, like, yeah,
1: I'm glad I won you over on that. No, topic I, I they are I, kind of dumb.
0: Well, I, uh, okay, it's. I guess so. They're
1: more of instead of being dumb, I should probably call them more like socially inept. They're probably like really like intelligent type A personalities mm-hmm. that just don't understand anything but what they understand. They're kind of like an engineer right. in that sense, I guess.
0: Yeah, But well, it, well, it okay, doesn't so,
1: make for... I, I think it makes for bad television, though, in my opinion. Well,
0: so, okay, so my defense of that is that, okay, like, specifically with the Vina thing, because I feel like that's a really good point, and 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 it, it is how can they not know what Vina is supposed to look like? Yeah. My takeaway from that and maybe this is i'm i'm sort of head this because i don't feel like it's it's something that they mention in the show i mean her specific reason why the telosians are incapable of reconstructing her properly is because they don't know what humans look like yeah okay fine but i think that maybe the real reason and maybe the reason that makes more sense to me is that actually they just couldn't do it And like they didn't want her to know that. I mean, I get what I get. This the the sense I get from it is that, and and they talk about this in the show, is that the Telosians have lost the capacity to do really anything. Um, and this yeah. sort of gets to a point that I wanted to make about the Telosians, and something that I thought was really brilliant on the part of of Roddenberry, and and really one of those moments that for me sort of solidified this as as great Trek, and that's that the Telosians are sort of metaphors for our obsession with watching and not doing. They don't care so much about whether or not they can do something. They care about whether or not they can see something done. And so when they're tasked with physically doing something, like reconstructing Vena, they can't do it. And so, I mean, I think the sort of real world parallel and the one that I'm almost sure Roddenberry was trying to make here is watching television, which is... A weird thing to do on Especially a TV if you're show. Try making, trying to pitch a TV show. Well, and I mean, he's a TV writer. I mean that yeah. that that was Roddenberry's job before Star Trek. You know, I mean, he was yeah, a television I mean, was writer. A
1: television writer, yeah.
0: There's a scene where <clears throat> Captain Pike is in the cage, and he bangs against the glass on the cage, and the fact that the cage is glassed in. And not bars, I think is significant because I think it is really meant to be a sort of fictional character or maybe a character who wants us to genuinely do. He's trying to bust out of of this sort of TV, you know, of, mm. the, of the glass that, that, you know, that would cover a, a, a 60s television.
1: I just don't buy it from, uh, from that standpoint that to actively argue against your career is pretty harsh on Roddenberry's part. You know, it's like. He's trying to tell like you're you're basically what you're saying is he's telling people get up don't watch the show don't watch TV at all go out and do something, or else you're going to end up like these big giant butt crack heads, you know I well mean, it I, just it just seems it just I do, seems I don't, disingenuous
0: I don't know that it's I don't know that it's intended to convince us to avoid television okay I think that probably he's advocating balance. I think what he saw okay. was that the Telosians or you know what the, what he saw. What the story tells us is that the Telosians went underground and instead of figuring out a way to fix the planet, mm-hmm. they Like didn't they sat around and did nothing? You know, they sat around and watched other creatures. And and they developed
1: their telepathic abilities. Yeah, and and
0: I mean, and who knows? I mean, I think it's one of the like this is pure conjecture at this point because we don't know what the Telosian life was like before they went underground. We don't know. You know. Yeah, they don't um, really
1: give us that backstory. Who
0: the hell developed their tech? And maybe there's There's a couple of
1: throwaway lines about it, but yeah. Yeah,
0: And maybe there is some. You know, Telosian. You know, engineer. You know, Mm -hmm. like Scotty esque Telosian. That's down there. Like you know she. Can't take it much longer, Captain. You know who's who's. And const- I don't
1: have. I don't have the skills to fix her.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah. Right. Who? Kn- I mean. Who knows? You know. I mean. I'm. I'm again pure conjecture. The other side of this is that you know how much do they really need to engineer things when with their brains they can you know do basically anything they want. Well, no. We
1: kind of fig- we kind of see that that's just really a mirage, though. Well, that's true. Because like I mean, you you see them shoot the hole in the glass, you know and the telosians just make them think they didn't shoot the hole in the glass yeah. same thing goes for when they bring the big giant space cannon down to the planet to mm-hmm. blow up the door to get mm-hmm. into the underground the telosians are just actively making them think they didn't so it's not that they can actually manifest actual you know items from their brain mm-hmm. they can just make you think that they're there is what it seems like
0: yeah so i mean this is the i mean this is the the question i think about the episode, is yeah. like how much of what we see is real and how much of it is just pure yeah. fiction.
1: It, it is a good. It is a good metaphor, though. I, I will. I will grant you, it is a great metaphor for even modern television. Oh you know? yeah, totally. Whereas, like now, we're in this whole series of we want to watch people's lives, but we're not really wanting to watch their lives. We watch these like outlandish lives that people lead.
0: Yeah, right. The, 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 yeah,
1: there are no way real. Obviously, it's these people are just hamming it up for the camera. Yeah, yeah it's, it's
0: clearly it's, false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's
1: kind of their. That's kind of the Talosians' deal. Is that they're creating this false world.
0: There was something. Um, there's that, like the the scene where um, <clears throat> Pike and and Vina are back on Earth.
1: Oh yeah. One of the
0: things that I really or, that really struck me about that particular scene was that, as composed as other, rather as opposed to the rest of the show, that scene was in the brightest technicolor. Oh, I know. The grass was like a sickly neon green. I mean, the, his his flannel jacket was just like bright red yeah
1: and they're supposedly in the mojave desert
0: i i wasn't sure where they were supposed well, they, to no, be no they said
1: mojave they said that was his home like oh i'm back in mojave Was oh his thing.
0: okay so this is like the you know they're, mojave desert 200 years in the future yeah they're they colonized apparently because
1: she makes that th- one throwaway line about how oh they said this back in olden times this was supposed to be all desert
0: oh i missed that okay yeah. well, that's weird because then you're talking about Transforming yeah. well, I think that's
1: kind of the deal. Is they're trying to show that the future is going to be this great bastion of hope for Earth, but you know, which yeah, they kind well, of they they go ahead and do in the in the regular series and in the universe. But this is like our first look into that. that.
0: Well, I don't know if you noticed the beautiful matte painting, and the, we can talk about that later. Oh but no, we
1: can talk about the sets when we talk about sets because they are yeah, one, there was wonderful. an
0: but there was a there was a matte painting in the back of a city, you know. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but what I noticed, and, and this is sort of. You know, aside from the aesthetic value of the set, which I think was really good. um mm-hmm. it was the um it was the way that the dream world was this vivid, bright, almost i mean, it felt, and i and I think the term is really appropriate here for a lot of reasons. It felt plastic. and i mm. think and I think that that was very intentional on the part of the director. I think it okay. was very intentional that the sort of, Telosian world and even the Enterprise um, felt sort of gray and wrong, and then the 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 Dream world felt fake. So I I hmm. um
1: I don't know I disagree with that. I think the point that I don't know if that... I mean, while that is true, what you're saying, mm. that it makes it look that way, I don't think that was the intention, because you look at the other dream worlds, the dream world on Orion, the dream world on Rigel. Um, Rigel looks very messy, very gritty for the time period, um, and that's a dream okay. world. Okay, yeah. Um, and then you look at his weird fantasy as a space slave trader. Oh, gosh. Um, and he's like sitting there in this, you know, world that clearly mimics like a subcontinent of India, kind of like weird. I got like
0: Roman orgy. I, I, it was it was the thing that know, struck me.
1: I got I got more of a yeah. I, Roman orgy is a good way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but then on, on but Orion then you, get, you're talking you about. get Earth, which is this wholesome, beautiful place.
0: Mm. And I
1: think that that was Roddenberry and companies attempt at saying in the future the only way we're going to get out into space is to have this beautiful world back at home that is perfect and taken care of once we get the yeah. Earth in order, then we can go out and start looking at stuff.
0: Well, I, okay, okay. So I, I can, I can buy that argument. I can buy that um, there is, you know, I mean, part of it is that if we want to explore, we will have to write ourselves first. Exactly, and, and I, I think I, that
1: this particular scene, that little scene that you, you were talking about, yes, is the first glimpse that Roddenberry wanted to I, give us. I can
0: about abso- that. I can absolutely buy that argument. I don't know that it's. I don't know that the two are mutually exclusive. I think, I think that it is possible that mm-hmm. both, that Roddenberry is trying to give us a glimpse of, you know, a sort of perfect unified Earth and at the same time represent an almost overly, you know, sort of plastic version of Earth. And so I guess, I guess my point, I, you know, sort of, I've uh, been dancing around it, is that what I like about the Talosians... And I know you don't like them. <laughs> is that they are a fantastic monster? I mean, this is a monster that, instead of tormenting you, although they do that too. Oh yeah. They actually give you exactly what you think you want, and that what I mean. You know what? Mm-hmm. What kind of? I mean, that's a real devil. You know, I mean, a, a, a bad devil is one who doesn't give you what you want. Who who tempts you? You know, not with a stick, but with. Or who who tempts you with a stick rather than a carrot, and I, the Telosians are using both. And I appreciate that they are so close to being successful. I mean, think about to me, and I and I, I guess this is why I guess this is why I think of the Telosians as a good monster. Is that like mm-hmm. if I were in the same situation as Pike, I would definitely have taken them up on their offer. <laughs> It would have you know, been it would have I mean, been
1: incredibly difficult to turn them down. I'm not going to lie about that. That would yeah, I mean come on, you are talking about you're getting a well, from a guy's point of view, you're getting Vena and they make her yeah. look exactly well, as Well, from Vena's point of view, want.
0: you're getting Pike. Yeah, and Pike's a handsome guy. He's a handsome li- one. Those baby blues are piercing. And you
1: get to live literally any life you want to live. Like yeah. literally, you get to be right. who, like whoever you want to be. <gasps> Like that's why we use television as such an escapism now, yeah, because it does that for us.
0: But the difference between this and television, and I think this is a point worth noting, and I think it's why I like the Talosians as a monster, as this, mm. as, and I, I, I'm calling them a monster. I don't think that's a fair characterization, but let's say as maybe a villain. But even that, I don't think is a fair They're characterization. Malevolent, definitely. Well, let's talk about that, because I, I, I might disagree with you on that, front. And- they're wanting to enslave yes. an entire
1: race of people.
0: <laughs> okay. G- granted. Uh, and granted. they're
1: basically giving them an opioid. That's what this is yeah, essentially right, right, it's, right, right, right. it's worse than like the opioid. yeah it's it's basically but, okay. putting them yeah
0: so first yeah. For, so first so first of all first of all the difference between this and television or an opioid or anything else where you're sort of zonked out in some way is that no actually Captain Pike really is living this right I mean he's physically moving in his head yeah
1: but, but they, okay they, they make a point of making it a stone's throw away from him. Thinking that he's doing this and his body's actually doing something else, like that's just a stone's throw away.
0: They didn't touch on it, but theoretically, they could do that. So, the, okay, so maybe this is a bigger question. So, is the, is it is it that Captain Pike is you know sitting drooling in you know the cave, right? <laughs> or is it that he is physically up and around? And I mean, is it more? I guess you know to, to reference another Star Trek that hasn't happened yet. Is it a holodeck?
1: Well, let's talk. Let's talk about Vina in that sense. She is a hump of flesh. She she's not moving around. She's not dancing around on Rigel Seven like a like a green okay. Ori- Orion slave girl. She's not making running and dancing. Yeah, she clearly isn't there with him. Like that has to you okay. have to make that point. So your argument. So my argument y- is that yeah, she's sitting over in a. Cage somewhere. Also, think about whenever she they make her disappear out of his cage. Right. Is it that she disappeared, or was it that she was never actually there and they made him think she was? Like how what is the scope of their
0: brain power? Right. It's a good question, and I yeah, I mean I, I think I think an answer to that question, and one we will never, obviously never get, would sort of either Let's say, absolve the Tulosians or mm-hmm. condemn them because if because if they're if they're forcing Pike, I mean, I think the idea of like an opium den, like him sitting in yeah. sort of you know smoking on an opium pipe and just zonked out, you know for days and days at a time or weeks and weeks at a yeah. time, or you know, years of his life, would be horrifying. But well, it's hard to say. I mean I, I, I think I think the, I think the point is is that it's it's like sort of basically conjecture. What I mm-hmm. will say about the Tulosians as, as it relates to their malevolence. Is that at the end of this show? And let me let me backtrack, because when I first when we were first watching the show, there was an element of it that reminded me of like a bee creature feature, right? Where you oh, have yeah. like a monster, multiple monsters. Yeah, you fact. have
1: like all the monsters in the menagerie that you. See. I mean, you only really see one other one, but. You two. get the, you see two. You do. You yeah, see there's others? a couple. Yeah, there's like a well, bird you, one. You and barely. A, like, yeah, you you one. get like vague hints that there's even more than what you actually are seeing. Yeah. So yeah.
0: But I I think that the the point at which I stopped having this feeling of them you know as this sort of really typical movie monster m- really typical movie monster. Um, really obnoxious movie monster, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, the one, the sort of soulless, faceless, like, basically could be a zombie, it doesn't really matter, you know, could be a Nazi, like, you know, was towards the end. And we get a hint of it right as he's choking out uh, one of the Talosians. Uh, The one that looks
1: vaguely like McGonagall.
0: Yeah, he he grabs the Telosian and just starts, like... You know, Throttling, throttling him. him And Venus like no no they don't know What they're doing And so it's one of those things where it's like Are you kidding me lady They have kidnapped you They have kidnapped Pike They have mm-hmm. now kidnapped human yeah. cults. And when you and don't first do, first do what officer, they want
1: you to do They, they cause torture you, you Severe mental anguish
0: They physically torture you, they, right? They, or, yeah, they, well, they make mentally, you feel, yeah, yeah, right. You the, yeah, whatever. They, they, they make you feel pain and punish like... Punish you. Let's just say that's enough, right? I mean, yeah. they physically... They put Captain Pike in hell. And I'm not saying that figuratively. I mean, they literally put him in hell. Exactly. And so, okay. They are bad so, like, so I'm thinking as she's choking them, oh my gosh, this girl. Like, are you... Are you... What is going on here? So, mm-hmm. um... Right. So, okay... But then, you know, they take him outside, you know, like I said in the synopsis, they take him outside, they, um, you know, they, they basically explain to him, and then they, I guess there's this sort of point, not I guess, there's a point at which they're downloading information from the Enterprise. It's kind yeah. of this weird sort of cutscene where they're like, on the Enterprise, and they're like, all our databases are going haywire, we don't know what's happening.
1: Which again, why didn't <laughs> they do
0: that at the beginning?
1: I guess plot Suspension
0: points, yeah. Like, of disbelief. I'm like, just going to throw that. Why back are they going... in. I think we
1: just need to throw that back in with my original argument about how dumb they are.
0: Okay, okay, but like okay. research
1: a product before you buy it.
0: <laughs> <Right>. Well, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Why didn't they do that on the Columbia hmm. mm. um, Venus ship that crashed? Go okay, so I'm defending them. So uh, yeah, re- yeah, ahead, <laughs> edit sorry. that out. Uh, um, yeah. So where was I going with this? Oh, okay. So they take a moment to examine as you call them the product right and they realize that captivity is not going to work that the human beings are not going to and and they let them go and they don't get mad you know i mean it's one of those things where like th- there there is a genuine naivete, na- naivete 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 not really sure okay <laughs> <laughs> i've heard it both ways We
1: well, charge 10 cents for words like that. yeah right um,
0: there's a genuine innocence. Ha. Huh. This love is for the wind. Um there's a genuine innocence to their uh you know, endeavor, right? They don't, they don't know that what they're doing is wrong, and I, yeah. and so it, it, literally changed everything for me because now I'm watching it. I mean, now they're Frankenstein, right? Like, yeah, okay, they killed the little girl, but man, they didn't mean to, you know? And I, and I think, and I, so for that reason, and and I, I guess this is to me, this is the sort of the Star Trek element of it mm-hmm. is that there is such redemption even mm-hmm. in the quote evil characters. You know, I mean, think about the first time you encountered the Borg. Think Mm -hmm. about the time, you know, that that Picard gets turned into the locutus. And then, and then, Voyager happens. And you get Seven of Nine. And it's like, oh my gosh, they're people. You know? you, Mm -hmm. you, You get Icheb. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, to me, the, the beauty of Star Trek is where you can take a creature, a really terrible creature, mm-hmm. and give them a soul, and give them heart, and give them feeling, and make you feel for them. And so, there is a point, you know, towards the end of that episode where I just genuinely felt, I just genuinely felt for the Telosians, and I was, I was thrilled by that. So, I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with, I liked them, but not to the end. the buffant in the room.
1: You know, I think we definitely need to. Um, sexism. In Star Trek, of all places, right? Um, okay, so I'm going to try and do this in a way that... One uh, does not belittle the female care, belittle the female characters on the show mm. um, and two does not put you in a position of having to defend sexism in a way that is detrimental to your mental health.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right Well I mean especially with this episode, there are so many points where it's just like, Oh God, I can't defend. There's nothing I can yeah. say that's gonna make that okay. I mean, this is, you know, it, it's it's a, um, it's just obviously obviously sexism is wrong. I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm it's saved.
1: the '60s, so there's it's a thing that is out there, right? Where we have to address so that way we can move past it. You
0: yes, know? yes.
1: Well, the first thing that I feel that on this particular argument that we need to talk about is probably the fact of the way they they set the command structure on the bridge mm-hmm. um you have majel barrett playing the character of number one who one doesn't have an actual name Ugh. which let's put that let's put a pin in that one for a second yeah just because yeah we don't care about a woman's name in this. Right. But anyway <laughs> let's go ahead and say number one what does that mean that we, we learn from Next Generation that that means the first officer, the second-in-command, so to speak, of right, the ship. Right, right. Um, we even find out a little bit later in the episode that she is, in fact, the most experienced command officer, so she that's the reason she's being left behind on the first away mission.
0: Or presumably the second most, with Captain Pike being the most Clearly, experienced. Clearly, he's yeah, the captain. right, so, right, right, right. Anyway,
1: uh, that being said, though, why is it that for the first say, 20 minutes or so, you have Spock, who is a science officer, running around barking orders at people like Riker does in TNG.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, he's
1: the one that's taking the number one position almost. I mean, maybe he wants it that bad. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's showing that and and not Majel Barrett's character kind of bothered me. That she just kinda of sits over there at the Helmsman station just kinda of taking orders from somebody who is essentially her her subordinate.
0: Right, or should be, her subordinate. Exactly. In the- I mean, and, and and you're right. I mean, the, the thing is that what we have here is a pronouncement of her position as number one, which we assume, you know, I mean, and maybe, maybe unfairly, maybe it's unfair to assume that she's in fact second in command, but then later on we're told basically that she is second in command.
1: I mean, especially whenever you're at the round table and she's making the command decisions. That you know, Spock is sitting there too. You know.
0: Well, and I guess I guess if I'm if I'm going to try to defend this, and I again, it's it's difficult because you you are correct in that she is very. I mean, she's silent when 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 Pike you know says, "I'm not used to having a woman on the bridge." I mean, she whips her head around and her yeah,
1: in the you know, stereotypical I'm offended woman fashion. Right, and it, I
0: mean, it was it was like. Wait, you're not gonna say, uh, excuse me, um, if you have a problem here, uh, then you're Well, welcome you know, to leave. she
1: makes, she makes the head cock and he goes, oh, sorry, president company, or he throws, yeah, throws his some- thumb. some... Something, you know, and she's supposed to just be okay with it.
0: Condescending. Exactly. It um, was, it was,
1: I mean, but it was the 60s, so condescension to women was the norm, I guess. I, I guess, don't know. yeah. I'm well, glad I didn't live in that time period.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, and yeah, so there definitely is, especially at the beginning of the episode, this sort of sense of, you know, ugh, I guess we're going to have to deal with her being here, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, that's really frustrating. I mean, granted, it's 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 horrifying, but in her defense, and in in defense of the show, she is in charge of the Enterprise more than Captain Pike is in charge of the Enterprise.
1: Uh, yeah, during the during the episode, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, she she is in command. She is essentially a knight in shining armor, and Pike is the damsel in distress here. So it's one of those things where. While I agree with you that there are <laughs> – the the feminism side of this uh, leaves one feeling a little unclean. Uh, and maybe <laughs> – and maybe –
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, and obviously there are just so many other moments where it's, you know, the way they treat Vina, the way they treat poor yeoman cult. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it almost goes without saying that it's wrong to treat women that way. Oh, yeah. But but Major Barrett's character is – I would argue well drawn. I get a real sense of who she is, she's stoic, she's smart, um, she's noble to a point of you know being willing to commit suicide rather than see a race of i mean she was not in danger she could have gone back to the enterprise she hell she could have been in command of the enterprise by the end of the episode right flying yeah. off and deciding hey yeah we're gonna go uh over to Risa and have a vacation for a while um you know, i mean or whatever you know we're gonna go you know uh defend our territory from the klingon empire like whatever you know she she wanted to do at the end of the episode but she doesn't she stays behind and she says I'm not going to let you create a race of enslaved persons. And I will kill myself and I will kill everybody here if it means preventing that. I will do whatever it takes. And there is a nobility to her and a stoicism to her that as a woman I seriously appreciate. Um, They obviously could have done more.
1: Yeah. Definitely they could have done more. And while I appreciate the fact um, that she is portrayed as very stoic and noble and a very strong command presence um, all of that is really undermined by that round table discussion where the old folksy doctor decides mm-hmm. that he's going to mansplain telepathy I mean clearly from a plot point standpoint it is going he does that to explain to the audience what's going on with him but it reads as very let me tell you what's going on here missy yeah. Yeah. and then again whenever they're down on the planet and they're trying to blast through the door with a giant space cannon. Um, awesome. he, and it and it fails. He he throws it at her again like, Well see, little Missy, that's what I tried to tell you. Yeah.
0: You know I think he actually literally says that's what I tried to tell that's, you. That's exactly yeah. that
1: those are almost verbatim what he tried to say. And so it, it really does undermine this strong female character that they create as being, well, you know, you're still going to fail because you're not – I mean, or it's not that she's going to fail because she's a woman. It's that all the menfolk around her are more smart than she is.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you make a really valid point there. I mean, I think it's it's difficult to say – what their intention was there I mean especially considering that according to Captain Pike Major Barrett is apparently the youngest person on the bridge with the most experience somehow uh, yeah. you know I mean she looks like she's you know 23 um, um I think I would, I would
1: put her in her 30s
0: is she? god she looks great I, I'm not uh, sure what her
1: age is she's but, gorgeous but she looks in my opinion like late 20s early 30s yeah
0: she's gorgeous um yeah, you know. yeah. okay. Yeah, she's Major Barrett now. she's Major Barrett yeah you uh, can see great. why
1: Jean Runbury married her
0: uh yes uh, hopefully for her um, I honestly don't see why brain. she married
1: him, but, you know. Oh,
0: come on. I mean, he's, come on. He's Gene Roddenberry. He is Gene Roddenberry. He's Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. No, yeah. Oh, come on, come on. I mean,
1: on. I also do the same thing with you. I'm not sure why you married me, but.
0: Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's your big brain. Yeah, uh, there we go. Yeah. And the
1: butt crack in the back of it. It's
0: the butt crack in the back of the brain. I can't help it. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of butt cracks. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. No, I mean, so I think, I think, um. Well, okay. So, suffice it to say that, yeah, I mean, obviously they could have done they could have treated her better. And you're right. I mean, there's the point where she, you know, she basically, like, goes through this whole process of saving Captain Pike They get back on the ship and then Yeoman Colt turns her back into like this...
1: Oh, yeah. Like, back into... It it, it really undermines the strength of the female characters. You have both... While they're in the menagerie, both uh, number One and Yeoman Colt are, they, they don't break down in hysterics like mm-hmm. like the damsel in distress would of that time period. Mm-hmm. They're very strong and they they are able to fight and lead this away mission, but when they get back on the bridge, Yeoman Colt throws, like, hey, uh, which one of us did you want to bone? And it turns them immediately <laughs> back into sex objects. I know. Like, it, it was almost like the writer's way of saying, oh, we had fun, but remember your place, lady.
0: Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it, and, and it was one of those things where it's just like, wow, because you see that scene where, you know, um, number one, like, overloads the phaser. Oh, yeah. And, you, and you're thinking, wow, this is progressive. I mean, this is like... She's a band. Yeah, and then back on the bridge, it's like... Oh gosh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, I mean, I I have to agree. I mean, there are basically a lot of the attempts at feminism here. I think fairly called attempts here are undermined and undercut later on.
1: You know, yeah. later on
0: in the um in the, in the series or later on in the show rather. For um, sure. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's really difficult to argue for a, a feminist aspect to this show. It's difficult to argue against the sex, or in in favor of the sexism, I guess, of the show.
1: I mean, no, yeah, nobody can argue in favor of sexism in general, right, but right. to to deny that the sexism is there would be just absurd.
0: Yeah, no, I know, and I, I mean, I, and I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think you know, as, as big a stride as having a, a first officer, a female first officer on a bridge in a television show in the 1960s was, you know, they, they undermined it Quite a, a lot, bit, yeah. A lot, and and frustratingly so. <sighs> it's there's never a point at which it's okay to argue in favor, especially the sexism of the sixties. But it's it's important too to recognize the strides that they do make. And I, I feel like I feel like, you know, I can be a fan of this show, I can be a fan of Major Barrett's character and still recognize that they treat her just terribly. Oh yeah. So yeah. I and I and I, I think she Agreed. did great. And I think Colt was great in her own special way. Vina was great. I mean, she, you know, in her own special way, you yeah. know, she's in charge of her sexuality. She's um... I mean
1: She's not really in charge of her sexuality. The Telosians yeah, right. are. Yeah,
0: you're right. I just so. I said that and then realized <laughs> <laughs> But actually no, she's like not at all and it's actually really, really bad. So um, yeah. yeah Crap
1: and you know yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. we should probably point, move on po- to. Yeah, points points to you on this one. I, I just I, yeah. I think I think this was a
0: This was an unwinnable battle for me. I think so. Uh, it's,
1: and you know, I thank think- you for letting me take the 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 against sexism on this one to make yeah. me seem like a more enlightened human being.
0: Well, I, I think at this point, I just need to set my fingers on overload and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyhow. Um, so I, I guess the next thing I really wanted to talk about uh, was the sets on, on on the show. I mean, we could start with the Enterprise, which is uh, so notably different.
1: You know, it is going to be difficult for me to talk against the sets on this show. Mm-hmm. As a former theater kid, I love... Me too. Like... 70s sets in general, 60s, 50s, you know, all the stuff from that era, like the golden age of television. Yeah. Like it was just so inventive because they were using old theatrical sets or the techniques to build old theatrical sets. And I thought that was just brilliant.
0: Yeah. Some of the matte paintings in this were just absolutely incredible.
1: You know? Yeah. I don't think that they would Stand the test of time like you couldn't get away with that now which is no, I, probably I, yeah. the uh, the tact I'll have to take which is a stupid one for this argument but they are just gorgeous in I know, the time period I know.
0: yeah no I, I agree with you I mean I, it was one of those things where actually I I have to say, and again, I'm supposed to be defending this, but I I didn't like the Enterprise as much as I like. Really? Yeah, I I mean, I I love the original series Enterprise. I love the the bright bright colors. and the woods and, you know, I just think it's so beautiful, but um, this one was pretty, I think, stark by comparison. I get
1: what you're saying about that, and I agree. Um, However, I will say this, and I know I'm supposed to be bashing it, but the Enterprise itself I thought fit perfectly the type and style of captain that Christopher Pike was. I mean, you have this yeah. this yeah. no frills like let's like let's get to the nearest starbase and heal our wounded kind of captain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, the ship fits the captain here whereas with TOS you have this bright colorful uh ship Mm-hmm. with you know orange banisters and like brightly colored light bulbs in the background mm-hmm. and you have a mischievous you know impish type captain you know mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. you know you, you, it's a total stark contrast and i think that the the ship fits the captain
0: yeah no i i actually that i mean you know i still didn't like it um which is funny <laughs> cuz i i like captain pike a lot but i yeah. um but i didn't i didn't like the Enterprise. i i thought it was it felt to me a little bit more like um, military. It's one of those things where there is um, a debate that's raged about the militariness of the Federation for a really long time. And one that I, I don't feel like we need to engage in at this moment. But oh, for sure not. Yeah, right. but But... Um, it, one of the things I like about Star Trek is that while yes they have to engage in military endeavors they these ships are not weapons these ships are, are um, for science and exploration yeah, exploration vessels and and part of that is you know making scientists comfortable and living in beautiful environments and I think um, and, and you know and giving them the mental space um, that they need to discover and to create and 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 you know and live in this universe And so I think, you know, seeing a starker version of the Enterprise is uh, frustrating because it insinuates to me a stronger military force. And so while their mission is clearly not military in nature, Mm -hmm. they they, they make it look like they're supposed to be military.
1: Okay. On the opposite side of that, though, I would say that this particular style of the ship, what it does for me as a viewer that I, I do appreciate... Is it what I feel it does? Is it takes and makes a stark contrast to the other sets that you see on away missions? Like go ahead and compare the sterile military look of the Enterprise to the set of Rigel Seven or the set Mm -hmm. of um, the set of Orion or the set even the set of Talos. Like you get uh, all these great reds and uh, you know desert type colors Mm -hmm. in the background, and it. I think what it does for the viewer is it allows them to take a break from the overstimulation of these great, beautiful sets on the away missions and have this military-esque, very standard look that they can go to and just kind of uh, say, okay, these guys are taking care of business while these guys are over here playing. And they kind of gets the viewer in a mindset of what's happening where, you know?
0: It's certainly very utilitarian. Um, Although they have certain creature comforts. I mean, um, Pike has a bookcase. There's a, you know, like a martini set. Um, Yeah. (laughs)
1: um, So, I mean... The whiskey set that the doctor carries around with him.
0: Right, right. (laughs) You know... So, I mean, it's one of those things where, while well, again, I, I, I see your point, and I, I actually think you're totally right. I think mm-hmm. it's reflective of the sort of mentality of somebody like Pike. I think it's reflective of, or mm-hmm. intended to reflect the mentality of a very serious federation.
1: I feel like I should have given you my notes before we recorded, <laughs> and you give me yours. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. I, I, yeah, I actually, you know, I definitely agree with you. What I, at the end of the day, though, and I guess the reason that I'm still sort of on the side of I like the TOS version better is that i i feel like the problem is that this is what it boils down to for me i really like the idea that our future is comfortable and not stark Mm -hmm. and you know the the tos set looks like a place it looks like a living room from the 1960s you know it looks like something a place where i want to go sit and hang out with that You know, ten forward, or I guess it's not ten forward in the in the original series, but the commissary. You know, where they go hang out. Oh yeah,
1: they have those beautiful art deco chairs. Yes, everything. Fantastic. I I loved
0: it. You know, and it's one of those things where it just feels like a place that I want to be, and and the Enterprise in this does not feel like a place I want to be. Like it feels like a place I would want to. It feels like a doctor's office, and I like to avoid doctors. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) I get I can get on board with that. Yeah. So
0: so I guess I guess while I definitely agree that there is a, a real let's say purpose to the aesthetic yeah it, you know and 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 one that i think i think you hit the nail on the head it's supposed to represent this you know captain pike in this federation it i don't want to go there <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't if Fair that's enough. the federation i don't want to be there and i like that in the original i i want to go there i want yeah, to go to yeah, the I enterprise could, yeah, sure. in the original series i want to go to the enterprise in tng hell i would live on voyager you know oh, comfortably yeah. Uh, I don't know about
1: Voyager, though, I mean, you're stuck in the Delta Quadrant for seventy five. Yeah, but you're stuck years. on Voyager, and it's yeah, a nice ship.
0: I don't know. And they have a holodeck.
1: <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get yeah. to Voyager. <laughs>
0: right.
1: How do you feel about the uh, the way they designed Rigel Seven, though?
0: Oh, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it felt well. I thought it was funny because, and this is this is completely off topic, but it reminded me of the original Westworld where they have this sort of different. Like yeah, the medieval world and the oh yes, I think West World obviously uh, and obviously. then and I think there was a, Roman a, a world, Roman world, yeah. right. And so this reminded me of Roman and medieval world, right? Kind of um, combined. Well, the yeah, yeah so the Rigel Seven reminded me of medieval world, and then Orion reminded me of Roman world. Oh yeah. So I I really liked Another it. Another
1: movie that has Marjorie in it. That's right. I know blows. Oh my gosh Mind blown
0: Yeah I forgot she was in that But yeah she totally is uh-huh. She's one of scientists right?
1: No She was one of the mad She was the mad <gasps>
0: Oh yeah That's right that's right yeah. anyway anyway go ahead. yeah so yeah my Maj- major barrett is all over science fiction apparently um too bad this episode didn't have yul brenner that'd be amazing <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, yeah so anyway so i mean i think i yeah i loved him i just i just loved him yeah. i just, i thought they were beautifully designed and you know i thought the matte paintings were great and i was one just,
1: of the things i thought though about them is it lacked inventiveness in terms of an alien world. To me, what it did was it was like, hey, um, we need to come up with an alien place to be. Let's copy something medieval, or let's copy something Roman. And that's kind of what they do throughout TOS in general. They don't come up with an original planet like they do in... TNG, right? Uh, later episodes of TNG, obviously not season one, but uh, <laughs> later seasons. Same thing with Voyager. They they come up with a completely unique world that they visit, whereas in TOS and in this episode, they kind of model these worlds after periods in Earth history. Which, mm-hmm. for me, one gets a little boring, and two, I guess it it speaks to the time. It wants it wants you to relate to them as, oh, these are people that could be human in the future or something like that but it to me it just reads as lazy
0: well so you're right actually there's a really really wonderful practical reason for this
1: they were just reusing sets from other shows that's exactly it oh, um wow. yeah so
0: yeah <laughs> uh so Low budget. They, yeah no exactly so they were competing with mission impossible which of course uh, mission impossible uh, like financially and otherwise they um didn't have um <clears throat> you know what they were trying to do was say that they could be on the same budget as mission impossible and of course the mission impossible budget was nothing i mean Mm -hmm. because they were just you know an office building will do the trick right yeah um but here you have the science fiction show that's saying oh we can make it work you know even on a on a low budget yeah and so basically they just reused sets from other shows and other and other um situations and so Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where I mean I think you know uh, necessity is the mother of invention and it's also the mother of creativity so they were required to do the best they could with what they had and the result of this is that you have an actually really beautiful show wanted to take a minute to bring up uh, Captain Pike.
1: Great topic for this episode, for sure.
0: Yeah, I I, I think he shows up again, uh, I guess.
1: In the Menagerie.
0: Yeah, in the Menagerie, which I apparently borrows pretty heavily from this. Yeah. It's a little different. So <laughs> and I, I
1: wasn't a big fan of it, but let, we'll talk about that if we, we discuss the, yeah. the Menagerie.
0: So I'm gonna alienate a lot of <laughs> potential listeners here. Mm, uh, tread lightly. Yeah. I think I may like... Captain Pike more than I like Captain Kirk.
1: Blast for me! I
0: know, I know, I know. I, I know that people have strong feelings about Kirk. I have strong feelings about Kirk. I, I love Kirk. Um, he's a great character. He's a great character. He's not a great captain. Mm. I think, yeah, like I, he gets his crew into a lot of trouble, mm. and, and a Fair lot of point. the times it's because he's thinking with his, uh, as my mother would say, little head instead of his big head. <laughs> Sorry, I, uh, I hope there are no children listeners, because then you'd have to start <laughs> explaining some things. Anyway, I, yeah, it's frustrating for me, and I think Pike is a thoughtful, mature captain. And his conversation with the, the chief medical officer really um, solidifies for that, that for me, where he's questioning his role in Starfleet. And whether or not he wants to be there, you
1: know? I can appreciate that. Uh, um, as a captain, I do, as a crew member in Starfleet, I would rather be on Captain Pike's Enterprise for sure, hands down. However, as a viewer, I think after one or two episodes of watching him wrestle with his demons and having to be led by the nose into an adventure, it would get old. It, he would seem kind of whiny after a while, in my opinion, just because like the way Kirk does it is hey there's this thing we're getting a signal from over here let's go check it out or hey what's that weird anomaly over there let's go look at it with regards to pike he has to get two separate distress messages before he's headed headed over there to even take a look he's he is more concerned with his crew which is why i would rather be a member of his crew as opposed to kirk but at the same time i don't want to watch pike i want to watch
0: kirk I actually yeah and maybe that's maybe that's what it goes back to for me. I mean like you like you were talking about with it with the Enterprise, you know, you think it's a better designed Enterprise and it looks better. But for me mm-hmm. it's less about what it looks like and more about like how would I want you know would I what I want to be want there. Was, yeah. yeah. And so with Kirk it's like I don't want to be on his Enterprise, you know? I want to be on Pike's Enterprise.
1: But you'd rather his Enterprise look like Kirk's Enterprise. Yeah, right. So <laughs> right.
0: okay, so yeah, I'd rather Pike captaining Kirk's Enterprise. That'd
1: be a weird show to watch. That would
0: be a weird show. Um, so I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, for me, yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, I think it's one of those things where there there is something a little bit dull about Captain Pike, and there's yeah. something a little bit. I think the NBC producer said of the show that it was too cerebral, which is.
1: A- I can see that. I mean, it is. I mean considering, you know, your villains are nothing but brains, yeah, you know, you could you could really consider that as cerebral.
0: Well, and not not just that, but like I think Pike was too cerebral. He was not he was he he was not I would argue he was not even the hero in this episode. I would argue the first officer was the hero in this episode and he was... Yeah, you made a, a lo- good
1: argument for her being the hero. Yeah,
0: I, I a lot of the time he's acted upon and not mm-hmm. and not doing the acting oh, yeah. and I think that that's a big difference between him and Kirk and for me there's something kind of interesting about that um, but I could see where episode after episode it would get frustrating to watch a mm-hmm. captain who's like, yeah, that anomaly looks interesting but I've got a cup of tea over here so I think I'm gonna drink it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that would be really obnoxious. Yeah. So. It's like
1: we've got to deliver this package to. To Rigel 7, I'm not really going to go over and check out the distress call, but, you know, we'll put a beacon out.
0: Right. Like, what? Yeah. I don't yeah. want to
1: see UPS. I want to see, <laughs> you know, you jumping in with right. both feet first, you know? Yeah. But anyway. You no, know, I,
0: I, think, I think you make a really valid point there. Yeah. Right? I feel like while Captain Pike might be a better drawn character yes. than Kirk, he's also a considerably more... Like, it doesn't fit with the genre. The genre mm-hmm. is space awesome, you know? Yeah,
1: space cowboys. Let's go shoot yeah, it up.
0: Yeah, and this is more like, and maybe there needed to be more of a balance of that, and I mm-hmm. think that they, that with Pike, you don't quite get that balance. With Kirk, there probably is no balance there either, but at least sometimes you do get, you know, some philosophy and then some shoot yeah. Shoot 'em up bang-bang punched Gorn type (laughs) exactly
1: I mean so that's a good, good valid point there one of the last things I think we should talk about here is how this episode compares to a regular series we've kind of been peppering in little bitty sprinkles of it throughout but I think we should really like dive into that just a little bit more and kind of see what's good about this that's not about the other vice versa
0: I mean, there were some parts that, to me, just, and I guess I guess I'm defending, so I guess I shouldn't say this, but I guess there were some parts to me that felt very un-Star Trek.
1: Oh, there were tons about it that was not Star Trek for me. The first thing to me that really stood out about this definitively not being Star Trek was kind of the lingo. Um, they talk about oh, having okay. hyperdrive instead of warp drive. Mm-hmm. Um, they have all these other things that kind of go into it. They talk about how the, they just achieved faster-than-light speed travel mm-hmm. in 14 years, which we find out is not the case in regular series. Clearly, Zephram Cochram does that like 75 to 100-something and something years beforehand. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm bad because I don't have that date memorized. I know a lot of people will, will jump down my throat for that, but, you know, it's also one of the other main things for me is kind of the name, which they kind of kept as a holdover to the original series, which I think they should have changed. But they call it the United States Ship Enterprise. Mm -hmm. Um, Those words are uttered by Captain Pike to the, you know, fake scientists down on the planet, but... There, are, at this point in Star Trek history, there is no United States anymore. Right, it's, we're, at United, Earth. we're at United Earth at this yeah. point, which which is much more of a beautiful concept to have at that point. Mm-hmm. I find it very difficult to dive into this and accept this as Star Trek, because there's so many things that are definitively not Star Trek about it.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I think that there's a lot of a lot about it that just like doesn't fit the Star Trek mold. I mean, Spock smiling Spock. Oh, smiling Spock. For starters, you know, I mean a Vulcan who's smiling, like it just, it just doesn't feel right. Um, Mm -hmm. It felt odd. Definitely there's that, but there are core elements there that to me really Mm -hmm. stand out the attempt at some sort of social commentary as it relates to feminism. The, okay. the, the attempt at social commentary as it relates to sort of doing as opposed to watching. Okay. You know, the attempts at, you know, the, I mean, the, the commentary about slavery, the commentary about, you know, being chained to one place, and, um, you know, the commentary about, you know, a united, you know, up on Earth where the Mojave Desert is, is peopled, and, you know, we, we, have, we have made a beautiful world, and yet we're still choosing to explore. I mean, those yeah. things to me... I think that there were moments where Roddenberry philosophy was just beaming through. Ha, huh. Pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was unintended, but I'm happy it happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the, yeah, Roddenberry, I think, is just like really, he's, he's present there. And I think that there's a sense that this has the potential to be great. But it falls so far outside canon, like it's yeah. Tough. I know,
1: and that's kind of the thing for me. That's that's really the only argument that I have to make on this, in at least to convince myself, is that this episode really shouldn't have aired because what it does to the rest of Star Trek, it basically negates a lot of the lore that's that's laid out in original series. Yeah. It uh, like you said with Spock, it makes him a motive at some point, whereas in every other Portion of Star Trek except for obviously this and then the menagerie where they reuse him smiling in the menagerie. Everywhere else it talks about him being kind of always stoic, struggling with his emotions, his human side obviously, but you know still very stoic throughout his life like a Vulcan should be. Also a couple of the other things that really bugged me is kind of some of the prop choices. You talked about the sets being kind of stark, that's okay with me. Just because, you know, obviously you have to start out somewhere. But the thing that bugged me is you get these, like, the hand cannons that these guys are carrying around. Oh, I liked them. Those guns. Oh, I Um, loved them. To me, okay, they're great props for sci-fi. But for Star Trek, I don't really like them. Because you look at the phaser that you end up with in TOS. This gun that they carry is not a phaser to me. It looks more like a ray gun from, like, Buck Rogers, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, same, yeah, Same thing goes for, like, their tricorders. Their tricorders don't look quite right, and for some reason, like, he's, you know, he doesn't hold it. It doesn't do that cool flippy thing. He has to manually... Oh, communicate. the communicators? Of, yeah, the communicators. What did I say? Tricorders, my bad. You don't even see a tricorder in this. There
0: was no tricorder. But, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, the communicators, you, they they have to flip them open manually. There's not that mm-hmm. cool little flick of the wrist that everybody wanted, that everybody emulated in the uh, 90s whenever the first flip phones came oh, out. Oh, yeah, remember. I mean, yeah, and it's... Like, that is one of the things that kind of bugs me about this, is it It doesn't feel the way Star Trek feels.
0: I get your point. I, I And I, I actually... I think I probably agree with you. To me, though, and I, I think maybe this is what it boils down to, is that, like, while... It doesn't feel like Star Trek, and I and I absolutely agree with that point. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It feels like Roddenberry. It does, and it feels like great sci-fi. It and
1: and I agree with that too. I would watch this show under a different name, right? And I think, honestly, the type of characters that are on board this show would do much better with a modern audience. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, Um, I agree with you.
1: Yeah, like a cerebral captain. I agree with you. I mean I'm looking forward this is, yeah, to Yeah, Pikes Enterprise. Yeah, no, I mean I, I would look forward to that show. I would yeah. think that if they incorporate some of that into the upcoming Star Trek stuff that's yeah. that's on board, mm-hmm. I would be totally game for that.
0: Yeah, no, I think I, I actually I think you're right. I mean, I think that this is the kind of show that I, I expect to see now and not in the nineteen sixties. And maybe exactly. that's maybe that's what's frustrating about it as a Trek fan is that it feels so um, out of mm-hmm. sync chronologically with the rest of Star Trek, and I, I, I'm okay with that, and I can watch it and enjoy yeah. it, but it does feel a bit wrong. It feels a bit off. I agree. So, so, so who? So, what do you think? I mean, do you think is this trekking awesome or is this Regalian ox turd?
1: You know, I personally, hmm, it's hard to make the decision on it. Like, like at the beginning, I'm still in the same place at the beginning of argument than I am right now, you know? I,
0: I, I, I feel the same way. I feel so it's so to me I feel so torn. I do. I maybe I just really I love science fiction and I wanted this to work. Yeah. And I think and I wanted Roddenberry to do well and I think maybe if I just want bad enough that will be true.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah, so okay, so we didn't
1: I don't think we came to a consensus. I don't on think we did either
0: personally I,
1: I I'm going to lean towards the side Of this not being Star Trek. Like, I think because this is not Star Trek, this should not be put in the Star Trek Hall of Fame. I am appreciative that I get to watch it, um, that they finally put that out there for the public to view, but at the same time, I don't need it in the box set, you know?
0: Yeah, I I actually, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think I don't think it's Star Trek. I, I don't think it should be part of canon, but I really liked it. Yeah. I really liked watching it. Does that count? Does that I think, you know? I think yeah. I think you can. I think you
1: can enjoy something without labeling it Star Trek. Right.
0: <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, that's obviously true. I just yeah. I, like I said. I guess I just wanted desperately to to see a Star Trek without or to see an Enterprise without Kirk. You know, sort mm. of pre-Kirk. I wanted to see a, a pre-Federation.
1: They have a show for that. <sighs> it's called Enterprise.
0: Oh, we're going to get there.
1: Oh, we're going to get there. dear listener, we will get oh, there. Oh,
0: we are going to get there. I am... Mm. We will... Mm-hmm. Yep. Ta- nope. Never.
1: Stop. Stop. Just
0: cease. Stop. Stop it. I, I just... I need, okay. to, I need to scrub a little... Well, them I them think
1: at that, we kind of wrap up our debate. Yeah, I think and so. I think... Um, We'll let you guys uh, vote on that. Give us some comments on yeah, I, on the I, I, iTunes I guess, on the uh, Stitcher everywhere. Tell us what you think. We'll look at them. I would
0: really love to hear what you guys have to think because I feel like we still need yeah. I need backup. I need to know. <laughs> like I need to know is you know is is it crap? Is this just a terrible terrible episode and I'm wrong or or is this a really great episode and I just need to enjoy it and sit back and stop thinking so hard about it
1: yeah Yeah. i think i think it's one of those things at the end of the day we can debate it all the all we want but you know if we enjoy it we enjoy it that's the whole point of star trek
0: right agreed although that sort of negates our show so (laughs) maybe well (laughs) maybe we shouldn't say that debate a lot debate a lot debate everything everything forever All right, so uh, <laughs> this next section—ready um, for the pun? Are you ready? I'm ready. Technology.
1: Uh, oh, come on. Okay, yeah, no, get I'm excited about technology though.
0: Yeah, me too. Trechnology. I'm excited about technology literally every day.
1: Exactly. Every time I hear something new, I'm like, "Hey, didn't they do that on Star Trek?"
0: I get ridiculously excited about yeah, my cell phone. <laughs> oh,
1: always. Um, Anyo <laughs> who uh, moving into it though. Uh, one of the things that I was reading up on, actually, um, the kind of nerd I am, I actually heard this on NPR. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a thing called the X Prize that they were awarding um, for a tricorder competition. What? Basically, what they were wanting to do is they were wanting to get people to try and design. A mobile diagnostic unit that is akin to the tricorder, and I believe it was Qualcomm came up with the winning entry, which was essentially um, a tablet with uh, a tablet PC with a with some software on there that linked it into like blood pressure cuff, a couple of other cool diagnostic things. I mean, of course, this isn't going to like help you find find out if you're like if you've got radiation poisoning or anything right, like sure. the tricorder does. But it will, you know, determine, you know, smaller things, you know, blood sugar, blood pressure, things like that, you know, and help diagnose kind of on the fly. Um, One of the things that I like about this specifically is that NASA is involved in this. And one of the things that they're doing is they're going to be using aspects of the different designs that were entered to go into the Mars missions, what um, exactly? It's really cool because I mean, you got to think about it. You're sending people to Mars. They're going to be thousands of miles from the nearest, you know, medical facility. You're going to need a way to, you know, diagnose what's ailing them quickly if they become ill. God forbid, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm excited about that.
0: No, I think it's cool. I mean, I obviously um, any kind of medical tool is really neat, and I, I love the idea of like a, a tricorder
1: <laughs> i would love to have a tricorder on me at all times
0: hypochondriac no, i'm just kidding <laughs> uh
1: yeah no totally have you met
0: yeah <laughs> you um no i think actually i think you're a hypochondriac on behalf of our son because oh, totally every time he has a, like a like a scrape or like a
1: oh come on these people don't need to hear about my overreactions
0: <laughs> oh i think they do uh, <laughs> yeah okay so my technology um okay well, and, and maybe this is one of those things where if you're nerdy enough, you're going to like this, and I, I guess I am. So um, it's a virtual reality uh, game, uh, and it is, <laughs> it, well, as of today, as of recording this, it's, we are a day away from it being released. Uh, it's, it's due on uh, May 30th. Um, it's called Star Trek Bridge Crew, and um, the reviews look stellar intended. um okay the game uh is produced by carrie which is a subsidiary of ubisoft um the action takes place during an alternate timeline uh, or the alternate timeline that was established in the 2009 reboot or okay. it looks like it i i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure but it's it sure that the set design the costume design all look like the 2009 okay um sort of timeline incursion um
1: the kelvin
0: timeline Um, Thank you, Kelvin Timeline. Um, The game seems to favor team campaigns, hence the crew. Okay. Um, And so you can play as, like, a a bridge crew officer, um, you know, a captain or a helmsman or an engineer or a science officer. I think there's a chief medical officer. So basically anybody who'd be on the bridge, right? Um, They have a really great trailer where LeVar Burton and Jerry Ryan and... um, Carl Urban. Uh, and I guess one of the developers of the game I'm not sure what his name is but one of the developers of the game they're all sitting down and playing a campaign Okay,
1: that sounds like fun
0: it is and LeVar Burton is just absolutely geeking out about this game he is he's going full nerd and like using all of the terminology and all of the everything (laughs) like as he's playing you know he's like Helmsman can you get us out of here and Jerry Ryan's like oh I guess Uh, that's fantastic Um, it was really fun to watch because LeVar Burton is just like such a like he's such a nerd and I just love, I love what kind of nerd that it is. would
1: be so awesome to play that game. Did you mention that it was VR?
0: It, oh, I didn't. Okay, so the, yeah, so here is the best part about this, right? Is that we are, I think, a step closer to a holodeck, and that this is yeah virtual reality. This is a thing that makes you feel like you are in a virtual world.
1: Wow, I am excited. Yeah. I am excited. If we could allocate some funds uh, for this, I would be more than happy to play this game with you
0: you have a birthday coming up
1: i do have a birthday coming up um and i love you so much (laughs) 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 that is pretty cool i i am excited what what's your uh what's your ideal position on the bridge crew? what would you want to play as captain captain
0: yeah captain absolutely captain
1: control freak yeah
0: Yes, I am. No, I I don't know. I guess I just really like engineer would be all right, you know. I think engineer
1: would be kind of the boring one cuz in the LeVar preview Burton
0: seems to love it.
1: Uh, <laughs> but in the preview it just looked like all you were doing was routing power from one area to another, which Eh, it, gets kind of, yeah. it looks like it would get kind of boring but you never know i mean it's part of a not. team campaign i guess you know yeah
0: i, was, I mean I, I don't know any, I, any
1: I, former dnders out there would know you know i guess you're the mage you know you get or the, you're the medic or whatever you're you know healing people that's all you're you're doing there so
0: yeah i don't know i mean i i guess i think yeah science officer would be cool
1: science officer would be cool helmsman i think Would be awesome. I would would love to pilot the the uh, the the ship. That would be so cool.
0: Basically, any janitor is that a position? Because I'll Um, take it. I mean, I would
1: be janitor on an actual starship. Like that would be cool. That's what I'm saying. Like like, really, not in a VR game, but
0: (laughs) why not? (laughs) I'll just try it.
1: (laughs) You never know. You never know.
0: Anyway, okay. So on uh uh, onward and upward uh, Trek news.
1: Trek news exactly.
0: So um. We've got, um, I guess, some. It, it, let's call it. Let's call it like um, feel good, uplifting news. Um, our uplifting news of the day is uh, that a few Star Trek alums, including uh, the great William Shatner and Brent Spiner, um, donned red noses to help fight childhood poverty for Red Nose Day. Um, That's awesome. It was, and I think it's one of those things where I just, I really love that the Trek alums are trying to are sort of supporting causes that just feel so star trek right like it just feels like such a star trek thing to do to like let's end poverty just everywhere forever yeah
1: exactly i mean because that's kind of the dream of star trek is you're in a you're in a utopian future where you know there is no poverty poverty, and everybody is kind of working towards a common goal of the betterment of mankind
0: yeah right exactly so I, i i think i think um I think it's I, – anyway, I just thought it was really cool, and I thought it was something worth sharing and, and definitely yeah. thinking about. So um, it's really – again, I, I just – I love the Star Trek alums. I think they're great people, and I absolutely love that they're doing something like this. That um, is cool. And, and bringing attention to, to such a cool cause. Yeah. Um, you want to hit the big one?
1: I would love to talk okay. about this. Um, okay. Okay. Well, as most of you Star Trek fans know, um, there is a new awesome Star Trek project coming out. And we've already talked about the VR game, so you know there's only one thing left to talk about Star Trek Discovery. Da, da, da. I am so excited about this. I have been excited about this since uh, it was first announced like three years ago now. I, oh, gosh. It seems like an eternity ago. Yes, it does. Um, and it's so exciting because it is the first serial television show for Star Trek sent, like in almost a decade, mm-hmm. uh, over yeah. a decade now. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, I think Enterprise went off the air in, what,
0: 2005-ish? That sounds right.
1: I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. But uh, yeah, like this is so awesome because... All the casting news that has come out about it mm-hmm. is just been every time they announce a new cast member, I'm just like,
0: ooh, yay, I can't wait. Sonequa Martin-Green is like... I adore her. I've been you know, watching her since her first appearance on Walking Dead. I loved her in Walking Dead. She is, amaz- um,
1: she is an amazing actress. I love I her to death. I just
0: adore her. And
1: while I while I can appreciate that, my the big one for me is Jason Isaacs.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. I
1: mean, I loved him as Lucius Malfoy. I loved him mm-hmm. as the bad guy in The Patriot. He has just had such a great career, and I'm hoping that... He's playing a good guy in this, because he is playing a captain. They say he's playing a starship captain. It'd be and interesting
0: to see a bad guy starship captain, though. Just throwing it out there. It
1: would be cool. would be cool. But I kind of see him playing a captain more like a Jean-Luc Picard, like a Patrick Stewart. I think that would be I, really yeah, cool. I think
0: you're right. I think you're uh, only saying that because he's British.
1: Po- possibly, but I think it would be really cool. But... Um, <laughs> Who else is in this? There was somebody um, else. Michelle
0: Yeoh is the big one. Yes. I, yeah, which is, I, I like, well, I loved her in Crouching Tiger and Dragon. I, I think she's a really phenomenal actress, and I think she's oh, going to yeah. bring, her and Jason Isaacs are going to bring a gravitas to this. Oh, yeah. Um, in the same way that that um, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, brought gravitas <laughs> to um to TNG, yeah, um, in yeah. the same way that you know uh, uh, Kate Mulgrew brought, brought gravitas to Voyager. You yeah. know, I mean,
1: this is she was kind of a no-no, wasn't she? Was
0: she? She's amazing. I don't, amazing. Know. I don't know. She is
1: amazing. I well, love no, her. I think
0: she was. I think she had some theatrical chops before okay. she was in. Yeah, so like maybe not as far as her. Um, yeah. Which is the same thing with Patrick Stewart, right? Yeah. I mean, he had a couple of f- films under his belt, but he was mostly yeah. known for his theatrical work. So, and I, I, I think, I think that that level of gravitas is is important for a show like Star Trek mm-hmm. because it is so easy to just. Just be a campy science fiction show. Exactly. And it's fine, and I love campy science fiction, and, yeah. and I will defend it to the death. But Star Trek has the ability and the, and, and the opportunity to be a lot more and to mean yes. a lot more. And having actors like Michelle Yao and Jason Isaacs and even Sneekle Martin Green, you know, yeah. um, even though her sort of roles have been um, more science fiction. Um, And horror, more fantasy, Um, yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, she's she's played them with a lot of depth and a lot of oh yeah. Well, she's
1: made some great choices in her career, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I mean, because you could have got, I mean. If if you're faced with the choice of being on you know Walking Dead or Zombie Land, I mean, right? Or not Zombie Land World War, or what's that one? That Z Nation.
0: Oh, <laughs> really? Was that her option? No, no, oh, I'm completely. not sure. But
1: like, like just think about it though. If you're faced with like, oh, you're going to be on a zombie show. Which one do you take? Right. You take Walking Dead because right. they actually you know develop characters. Sure. You know? Well,
0: and so I mean, I, so I think I think there's going to be, I'm happy to see, um, a level of gravitas. On the opposite mm-hmm. end of that. Gravitas.
1: Oh yeah. I think I know what you're about to say. Harcourt
0: Fenton Mudd is making a reappearance in Dis- in Discovery.
1: I'm excited about it. He's gonna be that. played
0: by Rain Wilson, which I'm I feel excited. like is good. I feel like it's a good casting choice. I mm-hmm. definitely see Rain Wilson as a sort of and this is gonna sound terrible, so I hate Rain Wilson. I don't. He's going is is a sort of mud character. Um I hate Harry Mudd. And we can talk about yeah, that when we get there. Harry Mud is
1: Harry Mudd's a fun character to hate, but I, you love to hate him though.
0: No, I just hate him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not love to hate him. I really um, that man makes me cringe and I'm, yeah, a little no, bit. He sick is cringe
1: worthy, but he, but I I'm excited about it because it's gonna tie this into the universe. I, I get the
0: I get I get why they're reintroducing Harry Mudd. I, I'm nervous about what they're gonna do with his character I because I you. don't see a good place for him to go. But we'll see. I mean I, you know, I'm 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 hanging back with cautious optimism. Mm-hmm. I'm a little disappointed that the sort of feel and like aesthetic of the show looks more um, temporal incursion than it does original yeah. series. That's frustrating for me um but we'll see we'll understand. see yeah
1: uh, there's a lot of it that ties it to enterprise i think like mm-hmm. based on imagery like the color of the uniforms um the starkness of the bridge oh,
0: okay things like that i got you the
1: thing that i'm like most leery about is the klingons they show the klingons in the most recent preview Oh
0: man and,
1: or or we're led to believe that they're supposedly the klingons I'm hoping they're not. I'm hoping that's some other race that we've never met before. Yeah,
0: or they're going to have to really explain that. Because they're going to have
1: to explain that. And honestly, I really don't want them to redesign the Klingons again. they redesigned them between TOS and the movies. And then they redesigned them again uh, now. Like, why do we need that?
0: I don't know. And you know what? It's one of those things where, I mean, the redesign is drastic. It is not a... I mean, like, I think in the the 2009 reboot, they have, like, a, a... Kind of vague redesign, slightly. But it, it's but so it feels, close. It feels like a yeah. They
1: just make Klingon. them look a little more realistic. Yeah. Because like, because obviously in TNG and in the movies, they they look a little more plastic because mm-hmm. that was the makeup stylings of the time. Now, in in the redesign movies of 2009 and beyond, it looks they look more realistic and more lifelike, like yeah, the, bridge, yeah. the ridges on the nose, the ridges on the forehead, mm-hmm. whereas these in this show, if these are Klingons, I'm going to put that out there, it's like if these are the it Klingons. It seems
0: like they are. I mean, the trailer, I think, even directly refers to them as Klingons.
1: Well, yeah.
0: They, so, but, but yeah. You, does that mean that they're Klingons from Kronos, or does that mean that they're Klingons like...
1: Klingons of the Klingon Empire, like they're owned by the Klingon. R- or, yeah, like... Or These could be uh, the offshoot of the Klingons that tinkered with... Their genetics. The genetic uh, augments... The mm-hmm. the human genetic augments like maybe that's what we're, this is yeah
0: we're just we're just gonna have to see and I, I think it's one of those things where if unless they explain that or unless they like they're gonna have to they're yeah. gonna have to
1: but still I I'm excited I'm cautiously I'm
0: cautiously optimistic, optimistic. I'm optimistic, I'm optimistic about the other about thing that dresses. I'm not a big
1: fan of is that I'm gonna have to get CBS all access to watch uh, this I know Ugh. um but okay all right why not shut just up and take TV. my money Star Trek is supposed to be on TV
0: shut up and take my money uh, <laughs> don't so okay I literally care less about anything
1: else on CBS Yes. I know.
0: All right. So are you ready for the next pun? Let's hear it. Recommendations.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> I like it.
1: I uh, know. It's great. Okay. Um, anyway. so, so
0: what's your recommendation? Well,
1: I'm going to recommend, if you're not already on Twitter and Facebook, um, get on Twitter at least. So mm-hmm. for the one and only reason of following William Shatner. Um, I sh- know that sounds crazy, but... Every so often, he'll tweet at the IAS or, um, or the ISS, or the ESA. You know, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll he'll you know like give me a mission briefing or something like that, and they'll refer to him as captain, and they'll Yay. they'll kind of like make a cute little like Star Trek reference in their tweets, and it it's just something that brightens my day that you know these science nerds are. Are like really into Star Trek enough that you know they respect William Shatner and his place in sci-fi history?
0: I think to, I think it's one of those things where like you have to imagine that these kids that are scientists now grew up watching Star Trek. Oh and yeah, and like for That's them, probably why they are he's, scientists. He's the reason that they're in space. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's the reason that they. I mean, obviously, the reason they're in space is because they worked really, really hard and are mm-hmm. really, really phenomenal, amazing, and they you know make humanity look awesome. He's their inspiration, maybe, yeah. and I, I I think that that's fair, and I think that they would probably credit him with with you know him and, and and Gene Roddenberry with with their you know choosing to be astronauts.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I I would say that I mean I've actually heard interviews with several mm-hmm. um, NASA astronauts that say that that their interest in joining the space agency was directly related to Star Trek.
0: Right, right. No, I mean it makes sense. I mean yeah. anyway.
1: Anyway, so what do you recommend?
0: So my recommendation is out of universe, um, okay. and I, I've already sort of proven my um, my willingness to just go all over the sci-fi uh, universe. Um, you
1: sci-fi whore, you! I am,
0: and <laughs> and I really am. This is technically in universe because there is a crossover comic between uh, this particular show and uh, TNG. Uh, excuse me while I shove my glasses further on my nose. Okay, so I'm recommending uh, the tenth season of doctor who if you oh, yes. if you are a fan of who if you're a fan of trek and you haven't watched you you're going to be a fan of doctor fan of doctor who i promise yeah. um i i absolutely that is a that is a guarantee i will put if you're not
1: it. then there's something wrong with you you can really consult then, a doctor right
0: when then yeah <laughs> and i uh i really love peter capaldi uh rumor has it, it this it, is his last season oh sad. yeah because i uh, like all doctors, I had to get used to him, but now that I am, I love him. Um, I love the new companion; I think she's phenomenal. I love Matt Lucas as Nardole; I think he's really great. Oh god, um, he's so funny! So I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled with the season. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you're gonna love Doctor Who. Uh, you're gonna especially love the season, I think. So. Yeah, that's my recommendation. I think it'll be
1: pretty fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for us today. It does.
0: It does. You what? so find us, guys. I mean, we're trying to get ourselves out there, and uh, we'll t- yeah. we're gonna have a Twitter and uh, Facebook. There'll be a tweet. A tweet. I will tweet at things. Twit. I will tweet. I think we'll both tweet at things. Twitter uh, people, things. We're going to Twitter? We're going to, yeah. And um, then... Uh, then there should be a Facebook. We will have one of those probably.
1: I mean, I might even go ahead and resurrect my Zenga for this. I don't know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 wow, that is reaching back there. Myspace, anybody? Anyway, um, anyway? Tom just like popped up hey i'm here guys (laughs) and then we have we do have a wordpress it's already up um it's wordpress.trekkingawesome.com there's a few little posts in there just kind of keeping up to date on where we are with the show and what we're planning on doing and uh where we're headed uh the synopsis is also there so if you want to read it as opposed to listening to my uh rendition that's okay too yeah yeah and then find us on itunes google play stitcher stitcher
1: all the other places I didn't know where you can get a podcast. Hopefully we'll be up on those pretty soon.
0: Yeah, so anyway, thanks for listening and we'll catch you later.
1: Beam back and see us again. Yeah. Check right. an A. Bye bye.